So continue these Lord's Days to make our way through Paul's letter to the Christians in Rome. I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 5, where we'll be reading from the third through the fifth verses. Romans chapter 5, verse 3. While you're turning, I'll remind you that we have been considering some of the effects of justification in a life here as they're listed in chapter 5. Justification by faith has many effects in a life, as we've seen, but there is one effect that it does not have. Justification by faith does not exempt us from suffering. Some people get that idea, you know, that um, being a Christian is supposed to mean that you no longer suffer and you no longer face tribulations and trials and afflictions. Oftentimes, alas, they get that idea from hucksters trying to sell something in the name of Christianity. Fact is, though, in some ways it is just the opposite. Real suffering begins when one becomes a Christian. But something else is also true for the Christian and true only for a Christian. There is rejoicing to be found in suffering and to be done in suffering. There is joy in pain and irony known and understood only by those in whom the Holy Spirit lives. Let's hear about it now from the mouth of God, but only after we first prayed for the ears to hear him speak. Our Father in heaven, do that, we pray. Open our ears, the ears of our hearts, to receive marvelous things from your law, to hear the voice of our God speaking to us and to see that our lives be conformed to your truth more and more, for which we pray also for your Holy Spirit mightily to shed his love, your love, upon our hearts now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Romans chapter 5, beginning at verse 3. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. Man is born to trouble, said one of Job's friends to him as Job was suffering terribly, even cursing the day of his birth. Man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upward. And he was right. He was exactly right. Of course it is true. What is true for man in general is even truer for Christians in particular. The scripture says that only through many tribulations do we enter the kingdom of heaven. Christians, you may not only anticipate suffering, you may, you must 
expect it. We will all suffer in some way and at some time in our lives. The question then is not whether you will suffer. The question is how. How will you undergo the suffering, whether that suffering is upon you now or suffering yet to come? With what sort of spirit will you suffer? Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul has an amazing thing to say about the way Christians suffer, an astounding thing, really. We rejoice in our sufferings, he says. Now, Paul Paul knew what it meant to suffer. He had been beaten, imprisoned, impoverished, rejected, ridiculed, and on top of that, that unspecified thorn he suffered in his flesh, whatever it was, we imagine it's some some disease that was his constant companion. Did Paul mean to say that he loved pain? I just love being in pain? Is that what he's saying? Was was it that the afflictions themselves were in some sort of twisted way what Paul actually enjoyed? And now does he expect Christians that, that we should be some sort of masochists ourselves? No. No and no. What Paul means to say is that in our sufferings, in the tribulations that we face day to day in our Christian lives, we can rejoice. In fact, not only can, we must and do. And then not unreasonably, but for a number of very important reasons indeed. You see, suffering for Christians is not something merely to be endured. Suffering is a great opportunity. Suffering is a, is a door through which the Christian finds some of the greatest treasures in all his life. Endurance, character, hope. These, these are some of the things that Christians prize And that they desire more and more for themselves. And it is through suffering, indeed, in some ways, only through suffering that these things are developed in the children of God. But before we take another step forward, let me first say that when Paul says that we rejoice in sufferings, he does not mean that we go through terrible hardships with some sort of silly grin painted on our face. He's not talking about a certain personality type that can let trouble roll off its back like water off of a duck. Christians weep. Christians moan. Christians know the feeling of hot tears on grief-stricken cheeks. We're not talking about skipping hopscotch through the thorn patch. No, we are talking about something much deeper, something much more abiding, much more real and significant than that. We are talking about a mindset, about a bent of the heart, an enduring focus that Christians maintain even while they are in the furnace of their trials. 
They rejoice in sufferings, not because they love suffering, but because they love God. And because of what they know is accomplished by an affliction undergone well. They see with the eyes of their hearts, which is faith. I say they see through the flames and the and their eyes are purified by the heat to see through the flames the face of him who has his sovereign hand on the thermostat. They know that there is a purpose for that suffering, whatever suffering it may be. It may be some sort of physical suffering, disease or illness, pain, maybe even the effects of aging. It may be spiritual malady, the visitation of melancholy or depression or doubt. Our suffering may come from outside of us. The pressures placed upon us by others, by a boss, by a spouse, by a parent, or even by a child. There are all manner of tribulations without And within, and I know that you have faced them, many if not all of you are facing them to one degree or another even this day. But in them you rejoice, Christians, because it is not for nothing that troubles are visited upon you. You know, for God has told you that it is so, you know that your suffering is not In vain, it is productive suffering. Suffering, according to our text here, produces three things in a Christian. First, verse 3, suffering produces endurance. Now, this is a rich, rich word here. It can also be translated patience or perseverance. The point is that suffering is the school in which you learn to continue on, to not give up, to press bravely onward toward the heavenly prize. I think of the practices we suffered on my high school cross-country team. Mile after mile after mile, we ran and ran and ran oftentimes up steep and rough terrain, sometimes gasping for air. I can remember vividly the pain stabbing in my side. I didn't know if I could take another step, particularly during the second mile of a three-mile race. The burning of muscles, the aches in the legs. But the more we went... And the more often, with repeated practices, we learn to press on and to endure. It was as if the more we ran and the harder the course, the more we could run and the more we could endure. The third mile was endurable precisely because we'd endured the second mile before it. But there was only one way to learn that. Only one way. It was to undergo it. See, we could could hear talks about endurance. We could sing songs about endurance. We could 
We could hear our coach cheer us on to endurance and encourage each other to endure. We could watch videos of of runners enduring and read books about famous athletes who endured. But in the end, there was only one way to learn how to run that race, and that was to run. Same for you. Christians, you are in a race. Every one of you. The prize is heaven. But you must run. And don't think for a minute that this is just a little leisurely jog that's being required of you. It is a long, hard race. And it's going to require everything you have and more. The pain, the afflictions, the trials, the tribulations along the way, whether they're found in your family or in the workplace or even in your church, they are all part of the race. But as you endure them faithfully, and as you set your eyes on that prize before you, you will find that you can endure each trial better than you endured the last, precisely because you came through the one before. Second, suffering having produced endurance, endurance produces, verse 4, character. Now, a couple of the Bible versions I consulted this week have here translated it proven character. Because the Greek word here is very rich. It speaks of the sort of thing that only experience can produce in a Christian man or woman. It speaks of approval. It speaks of proof of one's Christianity, of one's character. Some of you know that my father has made something more than just a hobby of making and judging fine wines. He's studied the art and science of wine making and judging under one of the world's premier professors of enology or winemaking. His professor, who is ironically named Dr. Vine, Uh, teaches his students a theory that he's observed in his travels around the world, studying viticulture, the cultivation of grapes. It's called the struggling vine theory. He describes in his book on winemaking this way, quote, it is universally accepted by fine wine growers that the best wines are made from grapes which are harvested from vines which struggle for existence. This is aptly known as the struggling vine theory. There may be a scientific basis for this theory in that the size of the grape berries ripened on vines cultivated in rigorous soils and climates is smaller, as would be expected. Smaller berries have a greater skin uh, a ratio of skin surface area to total volume than do larger berries, and that most of the color and flavor of wines is extracted from the skins of the grapes 
it stands to reason that there would also be more colorful and flavorful wines made from smaller berries. Consequently, many of the world's greatest vineyards are found on steep, stony hillsides and other environs that would be considered unacceptable for most any other form of agriculture. End quote. Now, whether or not that stands true for fine wines, it certainly stands true for fine Christians. The best Christians are always the ones who have struggled on steep, stony hillsides of tribulation. So when you find yourself in such places, Christians, don't complain, don't whine or fear, persevere. Like those vines that struggle the most to exist, it is precisely there that you will produce the fruit most perfectly suited for heaven's wine. Or think of it in these terms. What must happen to the grapes before they're made into wine? Well, you know they must be pressed. They must be crushed in order to release the precious juices from which the wine is vented. And it is not until that happens that the grape is crushed, that the character of the grape is known. Bright color and size mean very little unless what is inside the grape is pressed from it and the worthiness of the grape is proven by pressing. Interestingly, the word that Paul uses here for suffering speaks of just that sort of thing. In fact, as Dr. Barnhouse pointed out in one of his sermons half a century ago, it was the New Testament that first applied this word that speaks of pressing or pressure to the idea of suffering. You might say that Christians were the first ones to think of themselves as a vat of grapes being pressed to the point that their joy ran out like wine. How can we press joy from sorrow as one presses wine from grapes? Barnhouse asked his congregation at the historic 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, and he answers his own question. Quote, wine is a biblical symbol of joy. References may be multiplied to parallel the declaration of praise to God because he brings forth wine that maketh glad the heart of man, Psalm 104. The Lord has told us that he wants our joy to be full. In spite of this, many of his children come short of the great grace that he has for us in this life. They are fundamental and know the doctrines. They are instructed and know the vocabulary. They're saved and have all the potentialities, but, they, but do they have the fullness of joy? They have grapes, but no wine. 
Grapes are fruits which produce wine, but they are not wine themselves. In Palestine, we find grapes that have never fulfilled their true destiny. Grapes that remain on the vine harden, and after a time, they are pulpy and dry. They will keep for months dry all the time and will still be nourishing, but the wine is gone. And the raisins excite a thirst for the juice that is not there. Such grapes are better than nothing, but they are not substitutes for wine. Are you satisfied with grapes? Be sure they will dry up in your storehouse and will never furnish the merry heart. Wine brings joy, not grapes. And surely you can see that it is not possible to have wine unless the grapes are crushed. Even the finest fruit will not yield its essence without this process. Indeed, the firmer the fruit, the firmer the skin, and the heavier the pressure that must be put upon it to burst its surface that the juices may spurt. If you are to be splashed with joy, you must be crushed. End quote. Christians, these are not niceties that we're talking about this morning. We're not, we're not talking about tripping through life here. We're talking about being crushed. Maybe that describes what's happening to you at work this week. A crushing load. Perhaps that is the way you feel right now by the treatment you've received from a loved one just recently, crushed. Or it may be that you have been given some news that that feels like a terrible weight pushing down on your shoulders and on your mind. Good. Good, I say. Rejoice. Christians, because that is exactly, that is precisely the thing that will prove the quality of character that you possess in Christ. A lesser man, an ungodly woman, seeks to escape the pressure, to flee and to run and hide, maybe in some cheap Bottle, if you don't mind my mixing the metaphor a bit. A man of God, a woman after God's own heart, endures it, perseveres through it. He is willing to produce fruit on a rough and stony terrain as a struggling vine, and then to have shown and proven his character her character by the fruit, willingly submitting to the pain of pressing, the pressing of tribulation and of suffering. I tell you, brothers and sisters, it is in direct proportion to your willingness to undergo, no more than that, 
to your willingness to glory in tribulations of all kinds from God, for God sends ultimately all things to us, that you will experience the power of Christ to transmute your suffering into glory and to distill joy from pain. Not only for your sake now, no, not only for yours, but for those around you as well, for those other Christians who are watching, those less mature Christians maybe, unto whom your joy spills over out of your trials. And third, suffering having produced endurance, and endurance in turn character, then character produces hope. Now we considered the nature of Christian biblical hope at some length last Lord's Day, so we won't labor the definition again, but to remind ourselves that hope in the Bible does not speak of something we hope will happen in some fond wish that chances will turn our way someday. This is not the lottery we're talking about. Biblical hope is certain. It is by its very nature certain of the things and grasps and takes hold of the things that it expects. So every, for the Christian, suffering sharpens our hope by setting our eyes more and more firmly on the consummation of all things. On a day when every tear will be dry and there will be no more pain, no more suffering. A day coming much more quickly than any of us imagines. I'm reminded of the comment that a faithful Scottish minister, sometimes called the last of the Puritans, made Alexander White upon the death of his six-month-old son, George. Do you know, he said, I sometimes don't feel, or I somehow don't feel myself tonight. It seems as if I had one foot here and one foot where he is. Well, so every affliction, every sorrow we undergo in this life contributes to our fixing our hope on another world, on heaven, and even more on Christ. And such hope produced by suffering in this life helps us to obey the Lord's commandment to store up treasures where moth and rust do not corrode and thieves do not break in and steal, where men can no longer inflict sadness and grief upon us, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Such hope can only be summed up as one thing. Faith. It is living by faith, Christians, and not by sight. You might put it this way, that afflictions darken our sight so that our faith may more clearly see. It is good that our props should from neath us be fled if we drop into everlasting arms instead. 
My trials may deepen, my comforts may flee. I'm rich amid ruin with heaven and thee. You noticed, I hope, the beautiful, intensely beautiful colors with which the Lord has surrounded us this fall. Take some time to notice his handiwork. Here we are in November, and the trees are just now losing their leaves. It seemed like they were going to stay green forever. But did you notice when the colors really exploded on the trees? It was after the frost. I know the scientists debate this, but it seems to me it takes a good frost to bring out the most beautiful colors. The scientists debate this too, but it's my understanding that the best apples you'll put in your mouth, to your mouth, are the ones that have survived the first frost. On the other end of the spectrum, to purify gold, what do you do to it? You put it in a furnace and you melt it with heat. Without this process, the gold remains unusable, mixed at best. Think of a sword. A sword is first first forged in the furnace and then sharpened with a stone. Or a beautiful piece of clay pottery, it must be beaten and molded and shaped by the strong hands working it and then fired in the kill. None of that sounds comfortable. None of it sounds very fun. But it is necessary. It is absolutely necessary that it be done to those things. Same with us. So ends Paul in this passage with the Holy Spirit. All of this is possible. The endurance, the proven character, the hope, all of this is made possible because it is supernatural. Yes, you must willingly endure. Gold must submit to the fire, the fruit to the frost. But the point is this, it must, first and foremost, it must be done to you. And so I say, by the Holy Spirit, who lives in us, it is done, who has shed the love of God upon our hearts. Lord, do whatever you will. We are thine. Only give us endurance. Prove our character. Sharpen our hope and fix it on heaven and on thee. The words of Elizabeth Prentice pressed from her pen by her own struggle with affliction in the form of an illness. Let sorrow do its work. Come, grief or pain. Sweet are thy messengers. Sweet their refrain when they can sing with me. More love 
O Christ, to Thee. Amen.